0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV Pilot's License Flight Number 68 with service to the 99th Precinct of Brooklyn, New York. We ask that you please fasten your headphones, secure your podcasting device, and remember, on today's flight, there is an Air Marshal on board. And if you figure out who it is, they might let you play with their gun. Welcome to the TV <laughs> Pilot's License. My name is Jeff Curvis, uh, joined by Max Singer and Rich Inman. Happy New Year's, boys! Happy, happy new year,
1: year. Are we, wait are we doing Cod air is Cod air a tv show now <laughs> can we just
2: talk about Cod air for 90 minutes oh uh, con, con air to the tv show runner uh, uh quick uh
0: first pick for max for the 2024 year in review i it's funny you bring that up because while i was getting ready and preparing for this i saw my first trailer for the ted tv show and i can't wait for that to be part of our 2024 year in review not to wish it any ill will, but I'm just saying, like a spade, a no, spade.
2: <laughs> I, I think you're, I think you're gearing up. This is a year long. This is a year long prep for Jeff. <laughs> I, uh, I do
1: have some huge uh, TV research I've done though. While we were on our little holiday break, I just spent so a lot of time, on. I spent a lot of time <laughs> with my, <laughs> with my two nieces, and uh, I am happy to inform you the greatest show ever made is Bluey. Bluey is the greatest oh. show ever made. Oh, great, okay. I can't
2: wait for us to do that. Well, we're definitely uh, gonna... today we're actually talking about Paw Patrol, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> adult Pat- Paw Patrol. <laughs> well, um, boys, I am genuinely so excited to discuss Brooklyn Nine Nine with the two of you. Nine Nine,
2: uh, yeah, A. A. Cab, All Cops, Andre Brower. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) we are doing this episode in honor of uh, the late, great Andre Brower, who we definitely lost way too soon. And we'll definitely be talking about that throughout this episode for sure. Uh, But for folks who are joining because they maybe love this TV show or folks who just found our podcast, Max, do you mind telling folks what we are all about?
1: welcome to our first episode of 2024 here at Woo. tv pilots license we break down and analyze the pilot episodes of some of tv's most famous or in some cases infamous shows we learn a little bit more about how these shows came to be and were originally made that they're effective pilot episodes and making us want to watch more and if we think they can be made today go back and stream our old episodes wherever you get podcasts from check us out on youtube to see our smiling faces and if it is your first time flying with us
0: then welcome aboard today And Rich, what is your question of the week? What a terrific way to start out
2: this year. I know, obviously, this is a memorial episode for for Andre Brower. However, uh, I think this question is going to be a fun one. Um, I would love to know, because Jake Peralta and Amy Santiago are so ingrained in all of our comedic uh, sensibilities now, what crime, what famous crime would you want to... Jake Peralta and Amy Santiago to solve in real life. What? 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 What are you putting the nine nine on?
1: Oh, done, done. I've got it. I'm keeping it in New York City. Uh, I want them to investigate the Son of Sam murders because I need,
2: <laughs> I need Andy
1: Sandberg to interrogate a dog.
2: That's so good. Oh, man. oh, that's wow. I, God, I would watch an entire season of that. <laughs>
0: Uh, rich i'm curious from
2: your perspective what what were you thinking when well okay so first inclination was saying oj (laughs) because (laughs) jake peralta would be like would have the hardest time picking out whether or not he would whether or not he would like fall in love with a beloved football star and and movie actor or going after them as like an actual criminal but I'm going with something that should be a Brooklyn Nine-Nine friendly crime. And that is the great Canadian maple syrup heist of uh, <laughs> 2011 and 2020 or in 2012. Uh, I think that's just as goofy enough or just goofy enough of a crime to uh, to warrant a Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode or a, or, you know, a three episode spectacular.
1: God, I wish I wish Nine-Nine went full law and order where they actually did things that were relevant to news cycles
2: in seasons. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's the problem, and it's actually kind of, like, why they stopped making the show, um, because, the, you know... Real life? A, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, real life got yeah. weird.
2: <laughs> yeah, real real life, the perception of police completely changed after the George Floyd murder, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I do think they hit a certain point, and some of the detractors against people uh, of them making the show in the first place said, like, Hey, you can't just solve like shoplifter. You can't just like chase shoplifters all the time. At some point, you're gonna have to solve like a very horror, horror like a horrific crime. And yeah, that would. Uh, I'm I'm going maple syrup ice. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's perfect. So,
0: so Rich, I'm I'm glad you asked uh, this question because I-, I went in a few different directions, and I'd <laughs> like you guys to both follow me on oh. this journey. Okay. Um, so the first one is a this was solved but i would like to see jake peralta on the case and that is watergate i want to see jake peralta solving (laughs) being a fed he finally gets moved up to the feds uh and he is solving watergate if we're still going back in time uh a little bit more gruesome zodiac killers i want to redo the movie zodiac with jake peralta and, and my final one Is, do you guys know about the D.B. Cooper case? Of course. I was
2: thinking about D.B. Cooper. Yeah,
0: I would love for them to do, like, a a comedy-esque spin on D.B. Cooper. Because I think that would be so fantastic. And there's just so many opportunities if you made it into a comedy uh, to take it.
2: (laughs) The money washed up on the beach.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I do... uh... I, I
2: did think of another one, Jeff, like while you were saying that, and I think it—I think you guys can both get on board with this. I would love to see them solve the bling ring case.
0: Ooh. I don't know if you
2: guys have ever watched the, the movie The Bling Ring, but I think that would be like right up their alley. Oh,
0: also, Varsity Blues, if we're going to make him a <laughs> fan, like him, just, that would be so funny. Well, Rich, thank you for that uh, delightful question of the week. Let's dive in a little bit Delightful more...
2: serial killers and murderers.
0: <laughs> uh, let's dive in a little bit more into Brooklyn Nine-Nine with a quick synopsis. Sergeant Jeffords and De- Detective Peralta, Santiago, and Diaz lead a lovable and offbeat squad that must get attacked together when their precinct gets a new boss, the no-nonsense, unflappable, uh, unflappable Captain Holt. Um... <laughs> Max,
1: how did this get made? So today we are talking about the pilot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine titled Pilot, which aired on September 17th, 2013 on Fox. And as an added bonus, was also directed by the incredible duo of uh, Phil Miller and Christopher Lord. So crazy. Clone High, Lego Movie, Should Have Been, Star Wars, Solo, whatever you want to call that. Uh, Incredibly successful duo. Uh, And the show itself, though, was created by the other dynamic duo of Mike Schur and Dan Gore. Uh, So Schur and Gore are old friends from their days at Harvard, and after graduation, both found success in comedy writing, with Gore working in late night at The Daily Show, Last Call with Carson Daly, and Late Night with Conan O'Brien, while Schur is known for his time writing for Saturday Night Live, The Office, and serving as a co-creator of Parks and Recreation at NBC. Uh, So Parks and Rec is actually the first reteaming of Shore and Gore. Uh, Gore comes on and works on Parks and Rec as a writer, director, and producer, and the two set out to create a new series together under Shore's overall deal with Universal Television. They had in mind a workplace police comedy, a somewhat forgotten subgenre of TV comedy that spawned classics in the 70s and 80s like Barney Miller and Police Force, Police Force being the short-lived TV series that became the basis for the Naked Gun franchise. And they also want to apply the more dramatic procedural elements that had taken over, like, police TV in the 90s and 2000s. So on spec alone, Universal Television decides to take the pitch for this show all around town. It sparks a massive bidding war between the big four networks, with Wright setting up at Fox, who outbid NBC. The show was bought with no cast, not even a finished script, nothing shot, just on idea alone and the success of Parks and Rec, Fox went all in. Uh, Sure, and Gore know they need the show to be anchored by a character that they said would be similar to Hawkeye Pierce from MASH, made famous by Alan Alda, essentially a character who doesn't take work seriously at all, but is incredibly gifted at their job. In the early casting process, the duo went to Andy Samberg, who at this point was a year and a half removed from SNL and beginning to star in feature films. Uh, and they were actually able to lure him into signing on to the show despite hesitations because of Amy Poehler's experience working on Parks and Rec and basically convincing Andy that it was a lot less stressful than the week-to-week rigor of SNL. Bare. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> the majority of his cast still signed on before any script was written and many roles being specifically tailored to the cast who signed on. So this is a show that really evolved as a living organism with the people they brought on affecting the characters, the joke dynamics, uh, bringing in people they've worked with in the past like Chelsea Peretti who was a writer on Parks and Rec but wanted to be in front of the camera this time. Even Sandberg having Parks and Rec experience as a park ranger in a few episodes of that. Or just flat out writing a role for Terry Crews and saying, can we get Terry Crews? And then you get Terry <laughs> Crews. Uh, the show received an initial 13-episode commitment from Fox in May of 2013. And Charlotte after premiering, was given a full 22-episode order. And that takes us to the bullpen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, Max, I think it's so interesting that you bring up the idea that these characters were li- literally written for the people that rather than the other way around. Because we so often hear hey, this is the show, this is the character, this is the arc that we're thinking about doing. Hey, person, you have to fit what we're looking for rather than the other way around. And, you know, as we jump into this show, it's very much the other way. And you feel almost like these characters, or the actors fit their characters like a glove. Um, We start off on our first crime scene with this amazing, like, Joke of the concept of the serious like beaten down cop uh, with Jake <laughs> Peralta in an electronic store talking to what many of us probably did in our youth, that camera that's just like there. So we're on all of the TVs and instantly I remember, holy shit, they just started off with a bang and set the tone immediately of what this show was Of mm-hmm. in comparison to every other cop procedural that we have on TV at this point in time. This
1: show is such a love letter to cop films, undercover agent movies, uh, like procedurals. And I think that's what makes it so effective is how, how much it trusts that source material. And if you play it straight, you'll get laughs. We, we just begin, like Jeff said, with our protagonist, Jake Peralta giving this incredibly dramatic speech that we've heard a million times because we have heard this speech before and it's revealed it that he's Donnie just Brasco. doing he's just doing <laughs> the Johnny Depp speech to Anne Hage from Dottie Brasco.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think you this first scene sets two things in motion that are gonna be so important to the success of this show. Number one, that Jake is a man child. Um, and that um, you know, you do that is like an important writing thing too, is like to make your protagonists good at what they do. It is really like you know, if it was based on Hawkeye, like it's such a perfect uh, such a perfect comparison. He is going to screw around, but ultimately he is probably one of the best people that they have on the force. And uh, number two, he uh, the competition between him and Amy is so thoroughly set throughout every single episode of this show and and it really is like the basis of their own relationship together. No spoilers. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I I really do think that both of those things were so quickly and so like efficiently established in the, in the top of the show.
0: Yeah. And I think they also do a great job of Max. You have that message about like the savant, someone who's just naturally so gifted. And we have that instance where, oh, there was a nanny cam, found it, figured out who it was. This -hmm. case has been solved immediately to give us that. Hey, it's not just a bumbling idiot because there's so many of that shows where it's like, hey, here's the let's just use Parks and Rec. Here's Chris Pratt and Chris Pratt is going to play Chris Pratt. And we're all going to laugh because Chris Pratt plays the idiot and he's not good at anything as with this juxtaposition of here's Andy Samberg, who's very funny and a man child still, but also amazing at this job. And we can immediately tell and have that credibility to go with us.
1: Well, and I think, I think the, the best example of this is like Richie said, he solves this case in this electronics store using a nanny cam hidden in a teddy bear, but then proceeds to use the evidence to make a like teddy bear puppet to dramatically confess, you know, fake love to Detective Santiago. And it's like he, he's incredibly gifted, but he's also probably mishandling evidence at the same time. <laughs> yeah.
2: I think I think you're dancing, like, a really difficult line in this show, too. Like, even starting out. Because even the, if it is, like, you know, people love police procedurals. Like, Law & Order is obviously one of the most successful franchises of all time. But also the perception of the police is, like, all those are dramas. There's not really, like, a lot of comic relief on the Law & Order shows. And yeah. you you have to really... You have to create a lovable cop who's also kind of a doofus and and is like legitimately like legitimately funny. Otherwise, the show is like you can you can so easily have a bad taste in your mouth from this.
1: Yeah, because a- NYPD Blue showed us butts, but they they weren't
0: comedy butts; they were dramatic butts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a wild cold open. Did you guys find it? off-putting because i know i'm a gigantic fan of this show and i believe both of you guys are fans of the show as well not Mm -hmm. having the actual brooklyn 99 theme music and intro at the beginning because like yeah i was just like oh wow this is this is very much pilot pilot where we do not have everything set and ready to go for this yet
1: yeah it's it's very much presentational uh we just get the very quick title card with different fonts different colors although i did realize watches episode back how every single moment from the opening theme montage just
2: comes from this pilot episode. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, uh, honestly, an extremely efficient use of footage there. <laughs> they, they did a great job. Uh, and also, like, I don't know, I think that is something that is kind of, like, nostalgic and nice about watching these pilots, too, is that, like, not everything is so formulaic yet. You, you don't have, like... I, I think even... I mean, you get the, like, if we're talking like a comparison, like Fresh Prince, you get the very first, like, really long title song. You get, like, the full song, which is amazing. Multiple verses and everything, but, you know, once, uh, none of these shows obviously have found their footing yet, so this is, like, really nice to see that they, you know, this is what they sold, this is what they sold in, and then eventually they figure out the actual theme music. I don't know if that's episode two. I haven't watched it in a long time.
0: So... I think that one of the things that this show uses as a really excellent tool is for the first time in a long time, we have a show that utilizes the flashback appropriately. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's such a great way of making sure that we have that background and context on each of these characters. They're what drives them, what makes them great. With these small little 10 to 15 second moments that we're probably hysterical to film uh, but also at the same time give us so much meat and so much juice um, and we see a lot of these as we're introduced to the rest of our team in the um, what 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 was that room called uh, Max that you were talking about?
1: Oh well you, you have you have your bullpen which is like everyone's desks out on the floor and Brooklyn Nine-Nine uses that as a reoccurring space really well and they use the meeting room as a really good space. If you want to get into like cop show procedural tropes, mm-hmm. we get this scene that like starts the official episode of morning announcements where it's like, we're going to get our, we're getting our a plot story. We're getting our case of the day. Um, you know, very procedural style. This is what this week's going to be, but it also kind of becomes this writer's room spitball of like, we let everyone get one moment in as well. So
2: we're, we're setting up the yeah. episode
1: And everyone gets a quick joke in, which I think is really effective for world building as well as setting up your plot.
2: They do a really good job of that both here and in Reno 911, where it's just like, okay, all of the facts of this show are going to be right here. No one needs to be clued in. It's going to no one's going to have to repeat themselves. And then also um, the ping ponging back and forth is like Perfect cold open fodder, and they use that
0: like almost throughout the entire totally. show. Yeah, the timing, Reno Nine One One uses it all the time. The timing on the show is fantastic, mm-hmm. and we meet, we find out, hey, our we're going to get our new uh, commanding officer coming in. Um, and yeah, it's,
1: it's the Passover rule of pilot writing, which is like, why why is today different from all other days? <laughs> why is today special? <laughs>
0: yeah. and we meet Captain Holt. Um, in just this fantastic moment. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit cliche of I'm talking about the person uh, and they're right behind me and I don't see them. (laughs) But I love just the presence that was brought to this character because there's almost this like majesty uh, that Andre Brower brought to the room when you see him and you're like, oh, this man runs the entire building. Like, I instantly believe him he hasn't even said a word there's just a presence that he brought to it and what ensues of finding out and using our exposition device of uh jeffords to talk about like what's happening what what is everyone's weakness what's the big thing about them was just so delightful and such great writing um were there any expositions or flashbacks that you both enjoyed I mean,
1: for me, I I think this scene of Terry giving the one-liners for everyone in the precinct is one of my favorite scenes of any comedy pilot because it gives you just blatantly stated character one-liners that would be on like an audition sheet, as Mm -hmm. well as the background work that an actor would do when it's like, okay, like, why do you think your character is this way? And the one that I love is Amy Santiago's where they say that she has seven brothers and that's why she's always so competitive and like has to be the best at everything because it's not, it's not an easy thing to cleanly state, like to have a character say, but it's the kind of thing that an actor would do in their own homework and sure. And Gore find ways to incorporate those lines in there. Um, If we're also going to just talk about uh, like cop show tropes, you can't get a better one than having the straight man played by, Andre Brower from Homicide: Life on the Street. Like yeah. if everyone else is yeah. going to be a comedian that you know from Parks and Rec and Wet Hot American Summer, get the best possible freaking straight man you can and have him just point at photos and say things like "chubby
2: cheeks" and
1: it works. It kills. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it,
2: he he really like. I, I mean, he eventually becomes like the. I mean, just the most like devastating joke uh written character on the show which is such a big turn from this episode he really doesn't have that many joke opportunities but yeah i mean the exposition dump of him just basically running down all the cast like the characters their backstories what their wants are why are they like this it's so perfectly done again extremely succinct writing um also i do think the flashback for terry um that is the only time we see someone use a gun in this pilot and it's shooting a mannequin. And I think that also is very important. And I'll talk more about that later. But um, I, I really do think like as as much as there's like gun pointing and stuff like that, having the only use of it being a frightened biggest guy in the force yeah. by a mile... Um, like shooting just a mannequin, I think is also really important in establishing like, Hey, this is going to be fun. This isn't going to be all, this isn't going to be like brutal or anything like that. In addition to comedy. If we're just
1: going to talk character descriptors, I think we also have to just reference the Jake Peralta, one of the only puzzle he hasn't solved is how to grow up. And that is, it is perfect. And you mentioned uh, Jeff, like TV tropes, like things like, Oh, talking about someone when they're standing behind you and, Things we've seen a million times. Brooklyn Nine-Nine does so many of those. And it does it in a way that, to me at least, never feels formulaic. It feels yeah. earnest because it is it is one pilot trope after another. It is one sitcom mm-hmm. trope after another. It is one cop show and procedural trope we've seen a million times after another. Why Why do you think it gets away with them when other shows feel so repetitive when they do it?
0: So I think that's an excellent question. And I was trying to think of a good comparison of, like, what is something that we see in the real world where, like, someone does something that is just so magnificent but so simple at the same time? And it's because they are an expert within the mm-hmm. space, right? Um, and it is very much, it's a mix of one making sure, and we talked about this a little bit before by writing a character for the actor, rather than the other way around, you have someone who's going to be super comfortable with what they're doing much more comfortable than say, like, even if they're a professional, you're going to be a lot more comfortable with something that's custom made. Um, I sort of look at it like Wolfgang Puck. Um, he has this great line about the idea of. Uh, you can tell a good chef by if they can make an omelet, right? Mm-hmm. And Wolfgang Puck can make a lot of great dishes, like things that are a lot more complicated than an omelet. But when he makes a fucking omelet, you're gonna like almost shit your pants of how good that is. <laughs> yeah, I got right? I
1: got kicked out of Spago for doing that. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, they they you're not
2: allowed back. Um, I don't have- They took down the omelet station.
0: But I think that by having every person know their role and having writers take these things and say, oh, we have professionals doing these. We're not trying to get some up and coming actor or actress to play these. These are people who've done this a thousand times and now know their craft. That's an amazing thing. One other thing that I wanted to bring up and one of the things that I think was so fun about bringing a dramatic actor like andre Brower on is this show is like the tv version of the muppets christmas carol where you have a very serious actor surrounded by buffoonery <laughs> and it makes it so fucking delightful like it, it just makes it so much more fun than if we just had any random like later in the show will Arnett comes in to be the commanding officer and that's fun it doesn't have the same gravitas uh it doesn't have that same punch or impact because it's another buffoon amongst buffoons
1: i think that's a really good comparison though jeff to to draw audrey brower to michael Caine and muppets christmas carol where it's you know kane plays it like royal shakespeare company exactly he never he never winks at the camera he never nods to what's going on he plays it very straight and audrey brower is the exact same thing where the lines they give him are incredibly comedic but they work, there may be some of the most ridiculous lines in this pilot at times, but they work because he never, he never like winks at it. And I think that Brooklyn 9 sets up a really fun rule here with how like, how the cops are all, or the detectives are all really good at their jobs, even though they do these silly lampoonish things. And then we meet Gina Linetti, who <laughs> bursts into the office, asking for six demands from Captain Holt. And they set up very clearly by saying that Gina is a civilian administrator. And Mm -hmm. I think it's key they say civilian there because it sets up the rule of 9-9 that the regular people, the civilians, can be ridiculous. Yeah. They could be bad at things. And we see that when we meet suspects on door docks, we meet people in the street. The civilians could be as goofy as they want and they don't need to be good at their job but the detectives do and that's a yeah. really
0: clear distinction they make like just as an example if you watch this pilot fred Armisen is in this pilot for a solid 20 seconds and it is, yeah and it's some of the funniest like it's one of the funnier things in this pilot amongst a million great jokes and it's the idea of yeah not everyone is a stable human being in brooklyn new york right like People are fucking maniacs, like our, you know, we have our crime of the day. And we could sure talk about that. But the beauty of Brooklyn Nine-Nine is in the characters. It's in how well everything is written. And if you want to watch this pilot, go and watch it. Find it on Peacock. I beg of you. (laughs) But I think that for the three of us, it's more so looking at how masterfully done this pilot was in bringing together so many differently written characters and making it so harmonious uh, to this point. Should we briefly break down the A plot and the B plot? Max, sure. why don't you break down the A plot? Because I think it is something that you would really love, uh, especially, you know, ham. <laughs> I, I do love ham. I do
1: love on So the A plot <laughs> is a really established, respected, I don't know, fine foods broker we'll yeah. call him yeah uh, it's like did you ever watch that, the movie pig found,
2: with Nicolas cage is found yeah. <laughs> dead
1: in his apartment and there is an investigation happening over the theft and illegal sale of really high-end spanish jamones uh which leads to your typical cop beats of we're going to investigate the crime scene we're going to do door knocking we're going to have a run-in with a potential perp, uh, which leads to them getting away because of a lesson that our protagonist needs to learn. And then finally, the big cop uh, stakeout, which leads to catching our villain and everyone learning to work together. Uh, and even though a man died, we we get the bad guy behind bars at the end and the Hamones have been secured.
0: <laughs> and then as far as the B-plot, like there's a couple options here, right? We have the B-plot of Peralta getting used to a new authority figure. Uh, we also have the B-plot of Charles Boyle uh, trying to figure out how to uh, ask Detective Rosa Diaz on a date to the <laughs> movies. Um, which I think did such a good job of sort of establishing, hey, here are two characters. They're not our main characters, but like mm-hmm. they're going to be on, the, on this journey and if I was an executive, I'm going to be like, oh, they're possibly going to get together. Uh, and this is establishing there's that that some sort of romantic connection. But I don't really even care about the romantic connection. I just love the chemistry uh, between Stephanie Beatrice and Jolo Truglio. Um, I think I said yeah. that right. But Jolo, Jolo Truglio also has like the
2: best physical comedy in the 100%. Show. I mean, like I am not... I'm not normally, like, I think sometimes, like, slapstick is cheap, but they just, like, he did a lot in his flashback of him hitting his head and then hitting his, like, uh, I'm trying to remember precisely what the word is, but I think he, like, he said, ow, my head, like, four times, and then just kept smashing his body back and forth between cabinetry. (laughs)
0: My head, my muffin, my head, my muffin.
2: Yes, and then stepping on his muffin. And I'm like, okay, uh, there's literally that guy got a two sentence line read in and just had to make a meal out of it and and did a really good job of it um Rosa Diaz unfortunately I don't think she really got a whole lot of character development in this it felt like they're like okay we need someone who's like a little bit like a little bit more uh grizzled of a of a police uh of a policeman and I I really do think like they just kind of left the door open. They're like, we'll figure it out. Episodes two through yeah, 22. But, that, but
1: that's the pilot of it all. Where yeah. it's like, you have to figure yeah. out who you're going to focus on. You know, Terry is uh, our, you know, commanding officer here. So we need to spend time with him. Ray Holt is our new captain. We spent time with him. Charles is Jake's partner. So we need to spend time with, you know, the side stick, the slapstick character. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we get little bits and pieces of people throughout the office as well. But you can only spend so much time with people without it feeling dragged down. And I think they give everyone just a moment to show you this is our broader ensemble, but they do a good job of
0: delegating who gets the screen time, in my opinion. So one thing, and it's not part of our A plot, it's more of our B plot, but I thought it was super important, was we find out why Holt, hasn't been made captain of a precinct. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought this was very, one of the things that I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine does, and if you continue watching the show, you will find, is they cover sensitive topics better than anyone out there. Yeah. It's it's something that they hang their hat on. It's one of the reasons why Rich alluded to it. The show ended uh, earlier than some people wanted, but it's just something that they automatically stake their claim on Hey, yeah, the captain, he's gay. And he was basically, there was a glass ceiling that was put over him because he was gay. Um, and now is his chance. And he wants to show he can be a great captain yeah. no matter two, his two sexual things, orientation.
1: Two things to the Holt reveal. One, you get obviously the joke of the only person who clocked it is Gina Linetti, yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, hilarious. and kind of goes against the civilians being the idiot's role. Um, and the other thing is there is a whole line when he talks about being gay in the NYPD in the 80s and 90s where he says, they put me in the public affairs unit. I was a good soldier. I helped recruitment. But all I ever wanted was my own command. And now that I have it, I'm not going to screw it up. And I think that while this show, you know, you have to tread the line of how we perceive police and how that dynamic has changed in recent years yeah. but i think 99 also acknowledges that it's a flawed system and mm-hmm. it doesn't yes. it doesn't sugarcoat it it doesn't try to put it through rose-colored lenses it shows that you know these are detectives who are local heroes but it also acknowledges that the system as a whole needs work
2: it is a little bit of a West Wing effect, where they kind of write into these plot lines, like the, um, like the Vox Populi, basically, where they're like, "Yeah, I wish that some of these police uh, uh, precincts would go after the bad apples and stuff like that." And they do. They have a lot of plot lines eventually coming up of uh, them going after like the systematic, like you know, uh, things that perpetuate like bad policing or like you know, uh, harassment or racism or things like that. And that is like, that does become like a big part of the show. It is, uh, and, and this is like a good vehicle to do that. I do think like, ultimately they don't want to be cons- like, they, they do have to put the like police jokes aside because you can't just do the same thing over and over again. Um, but I, I do like that, you know, there is a little bit of a voice of reason of like yeah this is actually bad we shouldn't you know uh john c mcginley is a is an antagonist for an entire season who represents the fraternal order of police and like uh you know it's it's good to see like it's you know basically revisionist history or like you know idealistic politics going into this but You know, it's good to see like that written into the show so people could understand like, oh, yeah, we're not just like playing in the system we're we want to change it.
0: So that really is our pilot, right? Like the the team realizes that they can be a team. There's a great uniform metaphor that is thrown in there that you should watch the pilot to get. Um, but I would love to hear from the two of you. Were there any things you loved about this pilot that maybe we didn't discuss? Uh, the flashback to uh, Captain Holt
1: catching the Disco Strangler yes, in 1981 that was so is funny. such a fun five-second gag to film. Um, yeah. I, I love the commitment to the Put period the costumes down. they got for what could so easily be a throwaway line. And if we're going to talk about comedy tropes one more time, we're going to talk about Rule of Threes and jake's uh insubordination when it comes to wearing a necktie uh holt's mad that he's not (laughs) in textbook uniform the first time he's just not wearing a tie because he never does the second time he's wearing a tie underneath his shirt tied around his belly button and the third time we see him in a shirt and tie but revealed when he stands up he is wearing no pants and a comical speedo (laughs) with the final button of he never took the speedo off for the stakeout
2: (laughs) and it's inside him
1: It is again just such. It's so, it's so cleanly written. It's such a fun perpetuating of that classic rule of threes. Um, It's just it's textbook, and it adds a real fun sitcom element to the show. So, Rich,
0: what about you? Any things that you've loved about this?
2: Yeah, I mean the character development for the characters that they have chosen to give backstories to and wants and needs to, I think, are so clear and so open-ended, and so easy to play off of. I think they just did, like, they made some, like, really, really good choices. Like, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, you get to hear why Raymond Holt wanted to be a captain specifically for this precinct. He also has established his need of, like, he wants to have the absolute best precinct. Um, and I, I love that a lot. But also, like, even him being this kind of, like, uh, this kind of, kind of being like a hard ass, uh, like a stickler for the rules, like wanting things done a certain way He's very OCD about stuff. He also reveals at the end, at the end of the episode, when Jake says that he's wearing the Speedo, that he's down for the joke, too. As long as they're getting their work done, as long as they're successful, he's down to screw around, which is ultimately like what they what he loved so much about his previous captain that they just let him screw around. And, and it is like very, a, you know, work hard, play hard mentality for him, which is, which is lovely. I I think that's, they did a really good job. Also, I think the, the no guns on people thing was a very smart choice. Um, I know I talked a little bit about that a moment ago, but like, I really think that the tone of the show would be massively different if they ever, if they ever fired a gun on a person. Whether it's a perp that they're trying to chase, New York is extremely dense. You can't just like be out here you know, yeah. rooting and tooting trying to catch all these bad guys. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it like you know, even when they catch the final uh, guy, you know, he's he has five guns drawn on him, but Santiago like uh, clips him with like her, her baton instead of firing at
0: him, and I think that is a very smart stylistic choice. So. One thing that I loved about the show, and it's just a quick joke, and it was such a throwaway line, but it was such a good one. Um, They introduce, when Terry is introducing the, you know, everyone who's, all the detectives, he says, yeah, there's Solly and Hitchcock, now let me talk about the good ones. And it's just (laughs) such a great, it instantly gives us the idea with such a simple line delivery of those are two morons. They're going to just be in the background, but you got to know who they field. are.
2: What a, what a blank
0: canvas they established. For they, they just did. And I feel like just one of the things that I just have to say is when you think about Terry Crews as an actor, there's a, there's a lot of different things you could say, right? Like you could say, Oh, he's just a big guy. Like, Oh, that's sort of like the comedy is, Oh, he's this gigantic dude. If you don't nail that section, that exposition of in this pilot, I don't think this pilot is nearly as good. So like applause to Terry Crews for absolutely killing it. I'm not Mm going to say he made Brooklyn Nine-Nine what it was, but he made this pilot so much better uh, than it could have been if we did not get that exposition. But
1: that just goes back to the same thing again, where it's like you have to you have to play it so straight and like what Terry Cruz and Andre Brouwer do is they they lend that gravitas that feels at mm-hmm. home in Law and Order and NYPD Blue and The Shield or whatever else and because they do it unwaveringly and they give these amazing line readings when describing the detectives then you can do the other jokes and it's like they, they ground this whole thing in such a unique way to a sitcom of its magnitude
0: so i'm genuinely curious did either of you have any wait a minute moments when it came to this
1: pilot (laughs) what happened to detective daniels when we're getting around the horn. there's a third there's there's a woman detective detective daniels with scully and hitchcock we see her in the morning meetings she gets a descriptor from (laughs) terry cruz and we never see her again is she okay is she okay she, did she retire and go to the private sector i need to know what happened to detective daniels
2: she's the house assistant in golden girls man she'll never be seen again
0: yeah so it, it appears that detective daniels was written off after the pilot uh and she, she got like w- no lines so yeah. yeah in one of those <laughs> rare in one of those moments where it's like you were in the pilot and then you never appeared again rich uh any wait a minute moments for you in this pilot
2: Oh, I don't think I have a single thing. Like, this is such a clear-cut, efficient, like, joke-heavy pilot. They did such a good job setting up this universe. I don't, I don't think I have a single doubt.
0: Make it longer. That's my wait-a-minute <laughs> moment. No,
1: I, I... no. Stop doing hour-long comedies.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't do that. So I actually have a really fun in-flight question. We'll talk about how frequent flyers can submit those in-flight questions later at the end of the podcast. But if you are a fan of this show... Um, you remember that there was a crossover between Brooklyn Nine Nine and New Girl, starring Zoe Deschanel. And yes. this frequent flyer asked, "What other show do you want Brooklyn Nine Nine to have been crossovered with?" Oh, Law and Order SVU for sure.
1: Max, what about you? <laughs> oh gosh, um, I mean, yeah, I, I think, I think any police procedural. For sure. Um, I, oh, God. Um,
0: yeah, I don't know. Columbo? Columbo. <laughs> Columbo's a great answer. Um, I want 911 because I could just only oh imagine Jake Peralta like, being on a fire truck just screaming the entire time. <laughs> being Wait, like, I, I have a
1: question. Does yeah. Fred Arbison's character of Malipnos exist in the universe of girls? Because that's Ooh. what I want to see. Oh I want to see god. just specifically Malipnos in girls.
0: I think that's a really <laughs> solid question. Portlandia would also be a very good answer, by the way. Like, that does she? Would, be... do, would
2: Malipnos have an arc where she, where he dates uh, Hannah? Maybe
0: <laughs> no. Can't afford. He Jessa. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! Well, thank you so much for that in play question. We'll talk about how to submit those <laughs> later in the show. Let's talk about the history of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. There were eight seasons and 153 episodes. Uh, The first five seasons of the show were on Fox. Uh, It was unfortunately canceled by Fox, but the wild part, it was picked up by NBC 30 hours later, just like, which is wild. It was basically known that Fox was going to drop it, and NBC. And TBS were both talking to Fox Did about. Did they
2: have like a Seinfeld thing where they're like the creator of the show left and then they're like, uh, quality
0: dropped off, and then they came back with NBC. From my understanding, it was more of an executive decision on mm. that, which is disappointing. Um uh, mm. but man, you know,
1: NBC watching the waiver wire quicker than Jeff Kerbis and fantasy football.
0: Hell yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm in the championships. <laughs> uh but the uh the interesting part was uh Robert Greenblatt, who is or who was the chairman of NBC at this time, basically said that this was him admitting to a mistake of not paying enough money to get Brooklyn Nine-Nine when they originally had the chance and making do for that gigantic error. Uh, There were calls for the show to get more than eight seasons, Uh, but based off of the events of 2020 Uh, the creators of the show very simply said, we need to stop at eight. We need to have a true ending to the story based off of everything that's happening, speak to things appropriately, but what's done is done. Um, What's super interesting is even though the show is beloved, it wasn't really the most watched show. Um, The highest it ever got was 98 out of all shows that premiered in a year. That was its first season and its second season had its highest numbers with 4.87 million, and max that does include DVR. Uh, so watching it recorded or watching it on <laughs> a platform. Uh, Are these our first TiVo numbers on, uh, on the history? <laughs> who knows? Uh, <laughs> now, with that being said, one of the reasons for this show's lack of success as far as viewership numbers was the number of times it changed time slots. Now, I'm going to ask you both, how many times do you think this show changed time slots in its eight seasons? This is why I really wish
2: they stayed with NB, they did work it out with NBC. Because imagine the absolute behemoth lineup of Office, Parks and Rec, Community, 30 Rock, and then Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It would be like, there would not be another channel. So, I,
1: I'm going to say seven times in eight seasons. Rich, what about you?
2: Uh, I'm going to give it five. Fourteen times.
0: She's changed Change plot. time slots. Fourteen times, including a couple of appearances on Sundays, because, yeah, you know, that's a super popular time to watch uh, a comedy show right up against uh, primetime football. Uh, as far as the show, it is an internationally beloved show. It is shown everywhere from the UK, uh, to South Africa, to Sri Lanka, uh, a ton of different countries. There is also a French Canadian adaption of this show that oh, was Brooklyn, made. Nof, nof. <laughs> I'm going to try to say this and oh, my, my French, French yeah. is, uh, my <laughs> French is absolutely awful. So please, uh, don't In come Germany, after me. It's Brooklyn. No, no. Uh, God damn it. Uh, uh Uh and that had multiple seasons. Um so hey, it obviously did well. Uh Rich, don't you dare worry. There are mm. DVDs and Blu-rays for every season of the show. Physical media. media
1: for everyone.
0: <laughs> including a uh complete series DVD and Blu-ray set that you can purchase. It's um, one really thick CD. <laughs> Uh, So as far as let's talk about awards, uh, there were 81 nominations and 15 wins for the show. That includes Andy Samberg winning a Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy. Uh, The show also won that same year Best uh, Comedy Television uh, show for the Golden Globes. Uh, Andre Brower received four different nominations for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. Uh, nice. And he actually also won a Critics' Choice Award for said uh, role, and you know that is the history of this show. Um, with that being said, Max, do you have something to say before? Yeah, did we go you guys hear the story
1: week? when they canceled this? That of what Mike Sure did, Gore, and Dan Gorson, they like jokingly considered doing for the final season when it came back after the COVID hiatus.
0: No, Uh-oh.
2: what?
1: They they joked that they were just gonna like universe hop and make everyone a mailman and never address it.
2: <laughs> no no no! You have to address it. It's the post office.
0: <laughs> oh my god!
2: Got god em. damn it! Well, with that being said, uh, Rich, it's time for your
0: game of the week.
2: Minus Max. <laughs> Max Sorry, has Jeff, to go. These are three questions for you. <laughs> All right, I have a little bit of Brooklyn Nine-Nine actor trivia, just talking a little bit about uh, a couple of the main actors' history before they joined the Nine-Nine. So uh, I guess both of you can jump in for all of these. Um, Andre Brower, a Chicago native, what up? Uh, Before heading to Stanford and Juilliard, was a graduate of St. Ignatius High School. Which of these Chicago-based celebrities did not go to St. Ignatius High School? Bob Newhart? Gina Rodriguez, John Mulaney, Mike Ditka. I'm going I'm to go with Coach Ditka. Can you repeat those really quick, Rich? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bob Newhart, Gina Rodriguez, John Mulaney, Mike Ditka. I think you're right about Mike Ditka,
0: Max. But... You're
2: correct, it's Mike yeah. Ditka. Uh, speaking of football, Terry Crews was a professional football player playing four seasons in the NFL and was drafted in 1991 by the LA Rams. But his first job in the arts was what? A, modeling for Fruit of the Loom. B, a courtroom sketch artist. C, a short film writer. D, a key grip on a TV show. Uh, that's going to be B, courtroom sketch artist.
0: Yeah, he's actually a super accomplished painter. Uh, that's how he made money on the side when he was in the NFL. He would do like full-scale paintings of his teammates. Yeah, he got he got
2: uh five thousand dollar commissions from from his NFL teammates. He uh he only the most he ever played was ten games in one season. Uh, but yes, he was a courtroom sketch artist as his first job in the in the arts. Um, all right, and finally, Melissa Fumero, who plays Amy Santiago, of course, got her first acting gig mere hours after her final exam as a student at NYU. Which soap opera did she play the infamous Ad- Ad- Adriana Kramer? Uh, a role that she would play for eight years one life to live the bold and the beautiful general hospital or days of our
0: lives yolo one life to live <laughs> <laughs> that is a good yolo one
1: <laughs> i mean i'm just i'm just mad about jeff saying one life to live so i'm going down with the the ship if he's right i'm right
2: <laughs> oh man three for three for L- three i mean this yes, questions too easy <laughs> We nailed it. Yeah, it was one life to live. She played the character for uh, for four years consistently, and then uh, occasionally would come back and also had a crossover on, uh, uh, oh my God, All My Children with the same character.
1: It's okay if you don't know the soap opera crossover, Rich.
2: It's okay. (laughs) Look, there's only like 10 of them.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, Rich, thank you for that game of the week. Um, Gentlemen, our flight is coming to a land uh, with that being said, I, you know, I'm not even going to ask about if you think the show should be remade because I think we all have sort of stated our piece on that this show ended right and it ended considering the circumstances of its time. But based off of this pilot, do you think you'd continue watching the show? Uh, and what do you say to people who are on the edge of potentially watching this show?
2: Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go first on this one um, I would highly recommend watching this show if, uh, if you are just a fan of comedy in general it is still a bummer that um, most comedy things just get lower ratings in general than, than dramatic TV shows have a fucking sense of humor people um, but I love the show so much I'm absolutely watching uh, episode number two it was hard not to to be honest um, when we were doing prep for this <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I have watched, I, I think I've watched almost every episode of this show. I would highly recommend you do the same. Max, what
0: about you?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an easy yes for me. I've seen it all before. It's an easy one to watch out of order. Um, so don't feel pressured to watch it in order. But, uh, if you do, there's phenomenal character development and beautiful arcs. And I think it plays homage to its source material better than a lot of shows that try to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Could it be made today? Unfortunately not. I think that a lot of shows just have their time and have their place. And while I respect it trying to revitalize what, you know, Barney Miller did in the mid to late 70s, I just don't think the landscape wants or needs that type of show anymore. So I would rather just leave this as a great relic of what it was. And, you know, I know that sure and Gore and everyone else will move on to the next great project they have in store.
0: Yeah, and for myself, as far as continuing to watch this show, I couldn't recommend it more, right? I think that this is a show that there are comedies where I can see how people might find something offensive in them. Um, It's very hard for a joke to land with everyone. This is one of those shows where I just, every joke, I sort of am like, oh, another dinger, right? Just like (laughs) knocked it out of the park, Um, and we talk about the simple things being done and executed perfectly. And it just does that time after time. Um, as far as rebooting the show, I don't think we need more TV about cops. With that being (laughs) said, I do think that Dick Wolf is at your door right now. (laughs) The formula for this show. And I'm terrified of Dick Wolf. Ryan Seacrest, I'm still waiting for that, uh, for you to get at me. Uh, but the idea of <coughs> this sort of format, of having the straight man amongst buffoons, but well written, I welcome more of that. I hope to see more of that. And I like to see this show as the blueprint of what can be done. It doesn't need to be about police. If they decided, hey, we're going to make one about people working at the post office sign me up for eight more seasons, right? Because I think there's going to be a lot of fun associated with that. But yeah, we don't need more Brooklyn 9 We need something <coughs> that maybe hopefully one day looks at Brooklyn 99 and says, we can make something like that. We can... There's plenty of jobs we can make fun of. Yeah, exactly. Um, with all that being said, that is our show. And our flight has come to a land. Gentlemen, I'd love to make sure that people can find the two of you. Uh, which where can folks find you? Well, you can
2: find me trying to crack the uh, the great Canadian maple syrup heist. Uh, and you can also find me on Instagram at damn that's rich.
0: Max?
1: You can catch me enjoying a scoop of hazelnut. And on all
2: big <laughs> social
1: media. At Maxwell Singh. Catch a oh, sketch one, comedy yeah. for myself and Rich over on TikTok at Comedy.
0: And you can find me assaulting uh, mannequins at your local apartment st- uh, department store. <laughs> Whoa.
1: Whoa. <laughs> the, let, me, no, I- let me try Ikea that. Is an ap- Ikea is at apartment store. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but if you're looking for me on social media, you can find me at Run Jeff Run. If you're looking for the TV pilot's license, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts as well as social media at TV Pilots License. If you have a question about the show or for our next episode, you can shoot us an email at tvpilotslicense at gmail.com or give us a call at 213-290-1713. Make sure to watch out for our Instagram, for sneak previews of some of the stuff that we have coming up this year, uh, as well as shoot us a DM. Give us a call if you have suggestions. We'd love to hear them and make our day. But with the plane landed and the seatbelt sign-off, we look forward to flying the bright skies of the TV world with you again soon. And until then, 9-9?